We know that building and running a company is hard work and that its success requires great leadership. Because we believe people can achieve incredible things, we want to shine a light on those people who are improving their organizations. Join us as Core Talent's Laura King invites presidents, CEOs, and executives to share their stories on how they have transformed their business and implemented unique strategies to ensure its success. Welcome to Core Talent Connects. Here's your host, Laura King. Welcome to Core Talent Connects. Today, we welcome Christine Glancy to the show. Before we get to the interview today with Christine, I want to take a few minutes and share really where she's been. So prior to joining Insignia as CEO, Christine spent 17 years with Kraft Foods in several sales and marketing roles. She spent time working in the beverage business, marketing Kraft's coffee portfolio, which at the time consisted of Maxwell House, Starbucks, Seattle's Best, and Tazo Tea. She also supported top 10 retailers for those brands. She then dove back into the sales organization where she led the team responsible for Target, which represented nearly $750 million in sales. Christine was responsible for growing sales profitably while maintaining excellent customer service. Christine was tapped to join Insignia in May of 2016. This is a time when the board was dominated by two activists who owned 40% of the company. Much of the team had been with Insignia for 15 plus years, and the business was on a downward trend. Christine was tasked with creating a new pathway forward for the company. Given for 26 years, revenues had been falling. Since joining, Christine has restructured 60% of the organization, turned over 80% of the board, developed 13 new products, and successfully grew the company 26% in 2018, while also reversing an operating loss in 2017 by nearly $3 million. Wow. I am so lucky to have Christine here with us today, where she's going to share some of her biggest lessons on her journey. Welcome, Christine. Hi, Laura. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, we're going to get right into it. Tell us um, and the listeners just a little bit more about how you arrived at Insignia and more about what Insignia does. Sounds good. So like you said, I've been with, I was with Kraft for 17 years. And in those 17 years had 14 different roles. Half of those roles were in Minneapolis. Half of those roles were in New York. And Kraft, you know, being a big company has a plethora of opportunities for any employee who is working hard, passionate about their career and looking for any opportunity. And so in my career at Kraft, um, had opportunity to be on the sales team, raised my hand, moved to New York, which at the time was 25 years old, saw an opportunity to live in another city, and went to one of our headquarter facilities. And after spending a couple years in a traditional kind of headquarter sales planning role for a brand, 
really saw an opportunity to be on the marketing team and be on a team who is innovating a brand, customizing solutions for all different customers, and so made a switch, a cross-functional switch, into marketing. And at the time, um, big companies such as Kraft, that was a really non-traditional move. I didn't have my MBA at the time. I started in a class with a number of now really close friends of mine um, who had gone to all of the top five business schools. And so it was really my first time in my career where I really had to not only prove my skill sets through my job performance, but really prove myself in terms of my worth of why was I being placed in that role um, when I didn't have the same pedigree or background that they had. Um, and I was very quickly able to take kind of that same grit, work ethic, um, and also know-how of having my sales background in terms of collaborating with people across the organization to ultimately be the first person promoted into a senior uh, marketing role. And from there, spent about eight years in marketing. Got pregnant with my first son in New York and really saw an opportunity to come back home after being away from my family for eight years. Uh, I'm really close to my parents and they, my dad has some extra needs to kind of help be uh, you know, around and helping my mom care for him. And so had my first son in New York, experienced the whole taxi ride on the way to the hospital, which was an interesting story, <laughs> and uh, decided after that to move back. And so actually transitioned back into a sales role. Uh, spent about seven years on the target team in my last role, leading the target team, which was worth about a billion dollars of revenue and had about 40 people cross-functionally. Um, Kraft was going through very significant change when I left. They were bought by Warren Buffett and 3G and very smart, talented people, but the culture was really starting to change. And quite honestly, the industry was starting to change where I had been at a company for 17 years and when I would go out to interview or meet with recruiters, that was actually not necessarily a positive thing as it was when I started and thought that I would spend the rest of my life at Kraft. And so as I was starting to begin my soul searching of what I wanted to do next, a recruiter actually reached out and asked me about the Insignia CEO opportunity. And having been in the industry, I was very familiar with Insignia. Insignia is one of the leading in-store digital marketing companies uh, in the United States, has a mass syndicated network of stores for in-store signage. And so we had used Insignia at my time at Kraft. And so I said, you know, what the heck? And I tend to be a person who doubts my own abilities before I go out and try. So of course, I had a big conversation with my husband of why are they picking me for the CEO? What do they see in me? And so went through the process, just thought it would be good practice. And so started with a phone interview. There was 25 candidates. I figured I'd get the call back afterwards saying, Thanks for interviewing, great try, we're moving on. But the phone call was very different. It was, you're in the top three. And so I said, okay, reality just sunk in, like this is real. And when you're interviewing outside of your company, it's really big mentally and emotionally because I am the type of person who shows up every day being my best self and offering my team my best self. And so I had to do that, but knowing in the background that I was also interviewing for something outside.
Almost felt like you were living a double life. Yes, exactly. And so there was oftentimes I would actually be got caught in the skyway and have to hide behind pillars because I was in a suit and I'm not a suit girl. So <laughs> I tend to wear my jeans and Converse's every day. Um, so here I am. I I'd accepted the position in April of 2016. You know, it was also a very unique interviewing uh, role because I only interviewed with the board of directors. It is a publicly traded company, and I had to make a decision to join only based on my interaction with the board. Actually, never interacting with any of the employees that I was going to be working with. Wow! So you didn't even know what really you were stepping into, just um, really based off of what the board of directors were telling you. Exactly, and you know it's a big lesson learned because if management isn't sharing truth with a board of directors, the board of directors is only going to know what they've been told versus maybe what else was going on. So joined day one, uh, God bless him, but the CFO quit and within 30 minutes of uh, my start day. Uh, and as I mentioned, I'm really close to my parents. So my first phone call was to my parents of holy cow, what did I just do? Um, and meanwhile, I had a shareholder meeting in 30 days. And I did not ever have that opportunity at Kraft to know what it was like to put together a shareholder meeting, let alone you know what I could say and not say, being a publicly traded company. So, you know, the, the hard part when you become a CEO is you don't really have a boss. Like, you are your boss. And so, you know, you're used to other roles where you have a mentor, a sponsor directly at your company of somebody you can go to. Um, but here I was knowing nobody in the company. I had 60 people. They all were looking at me of who's the new person? What's she going to do? and trying to figure this all out on my own at the same time. And so it was kind of just show up every day and learn what you learn. And you know what I told the company was, I'm going to listen first and act second. I'm not gonna come in here with a predisposed plan of what I'm going to do. Do I have ideas? Absolutely, I have lots of them. I have lots of experience I could offer the employees, but I needed to learn that insignia culture first and what they could offer me first. And so I didn't make any new changes in the first 90 days. Met with the board of directors after 90 days, gave them my observations. Um, probably one of the toughest board meetings I've ever had. It was my first, so obviously that was tough. But even reflecting back over now three and a half years of board meetings, it was an extremely challenging one. I want to ask, because th there could be people that are, are questioning this. So you as a new CEO who has never been um, to a board director meeting before and what did you do to prepare? I mean, did you talk to other people who had been through it? What what specific tactics? So every board has a chairman of a board, and so I would meet with him on a weekly basis. Um, and, you know, it depends on the size of your company, who that board of um, the chairman is in terms of how engaged can they be mm -hmm. because most of them have their day jobs as well. Um, and so I was very grateful that I've always had a board chair who's been willing to just spend an hour with me every single week. And so it was really about alignment of mm -hmm. what are the types of topics that we need to be talking about. I also sent a letter to the board because I said, this is how I'm going to approach the board meeting. I didn't wait for them to tell me how to approach it or actually how it was done in the past because I really wanted to use the opportunity of being new and setting the standard of, 
I'm going to tell you the truth. I am not going to try to tell you one version of the story or 80%. I need you in this with me if we're going to truly drive transformation of this That's company. That's amazing. That's amazing. Because not many leaders would have the guts in their first role as a CEO to do that. Yeah, and you know, it's it, when you take a CEO role, you you got to come in with guts and your biceps ready because you were hired for that. There is no onboarding. There is no, um, you know, asking for necessarily like advice all the time. You got to tell people, here's what I think, and then get people on the same page with you. So what did you end up doing about that CFO role? Well, after I shed a few <laughs> tears, um, it ended up being a really good thing. And, you know, the CFO is, is a great person. He went on to be a CFO at another company. Um, but there was actually a gap in CF CEO before I came. And so he actually was the interim president and CEO and had been the CFO for quite a few years. And so for him and his own career aspirations, I think he was really looking for the next opportunity. Um, so I got really close with the finance team. Mm -hmm. I said, I am not a finance person by background. I know how to manage a P&L very well. I understand, you know, finances. Do I know anything about filing an SEC report? I I don't. I don't even know what needs to be filed. And so it's really where delegation and accountability came into key play. Um, I had to learn a lot, um, and I was learning a lot just about the base business, but I really had to shift and make a priority focus on the finance team um, and really understand you know, what each of them brought to the table. Also being a publicly traded company, in your board of directors, you also have an audit chair. And he was my like right-hand person, um, very experienced accountant and CPA background, had been on the Insignia board for quite a while. And so I knew that no matter what was filed, his eyes were going to be on it. So from like an audit perspective, mm -hmm. I had at least that trustworthy yeah. advisor. I had I had to circle back to that just to yeah it was <laughs> it was an, it was an eventful day. Um, so I've been with Insignia for three and a half years, and I don't know if there's an experience that I honestly haven't experienced yet. You know, and you come in, and I think as a new CEO, you have a vision, you have a strategy, you want to conquer and change the world, and that can't happen overnight because you have a team and I have a team of 55 people that I've had to get on board with my plan, my strategy. And we have a very bifurcated organization because we actually have our plant attached right to our building. We sit in an office park. And after I had a chance to kind of really assess the talent and figure out what talent I needed for where the company was going, we had to do a pretty significant purposeful kind of org restructure. And so today, there's probably about 60% of the people that are new since I've started. And so that creates its own shift because when you're coming in and you're hiring your own people, the last thing you want the people that have been a part of the DNA of the company to think that you're coming in and overhauling them with your own team, mm -hmm. because that's not my intent. That's not what I'm trying to do. But it, what I am trying to do is find and source the right talent and skill sets to complement the DNA that was already there to get us to where we're trying to go. And so I've had to work really hard on making sure that there's not a 
invisible line that gets created within the culture. Uh, we're really all one team, kind of one dream, focusing on the common goal and common objective. Um, so there was, I think, some probably unattended consequences of when you're doing that type of transformation from a people perspective. And I would imagine, too, you have people once they've learned what are the, the new vision, the new strategy, might even self-select out. Yes, we've had a, a few of that. Um, I, you know, I pride ourselves on really strong retention. Um, and those that are willing to stay, we have multiple people that have actually been promoted within the company that were actually there before I started. Wonderful. And, you know, what, what's necessary, though, is they're, they're being put into new roles, but they're being supported with training and development. And when I came, there was a number of very, very talented, skilled people, but in a smaller company, if you raise your hand and you say, I want to go into this role, they support you and they put you over there, but there was a lack of training and development. So I had people in very meaningful, important roles that had literally never had any training and development. And so what happened was their performance was subpar. And so we also brought in some contractors and some consultants to invest in those individuals to make sure that they their performance could get back to where we really needed it to be. So I talked a little bit about people, and that's 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 something that like you have to be focused on every single day. And I would say it should be also the last piece of your PL that gets cut. And I've really had to learn that over the last couple of years because the first year, super challenging year. Second year, also an operating loss year for us, but the momentum was building. 2018, the company's most successful year we've literally ever had, our highest revenue year, and now 19, due to some competitive challenges that we're facing, we're having a very, very difficult year. And so as I look at every line item on my budget, you know, it's very easy to cut employee recognition. It's it's easy to cut, you know, the pizza parties and all of that. Um, but we've kept that line intact. And in fact, we've had the most training and development this year than actually any year that I've been there because that's I need the people to show up every single day even when times are tough that's when I need their heart and their soul to be there and so we actually just held our first ever all company meeting and it included every employee from the plant operations retail sales and really forced them to all come together and, you know, this was a meeting where it was really about heart and soul, and I needed to get everybody kind of re-inspired, re-motivated. And so we kicked it off with, like, a very traditional sizzle reel that I would see at Kraft Foods, like big companies, right? You come into the sales yes. meeting, lights go down, and it's like that feel-good video. And we put one of those together for the company. And it is, again, all about the people. And that was actually the theme of our whole meeting was powered by Insignia. And it's not our products that are powered, right? Our products are similar to other products in the marketplace, but it is the people behind those products. It is the client service that we give our clients. It is the quality of our products that keep people coming back and that has the reputation that we have. Um, then we also did a really, we made fun of ourselves as a leadership team and did a really funny skit that basically took all of our funny nuances and, you know, um, things that people laugh about and talk about water cooler, talk about us, we just put them right out there. Because as a leader, you 
have to connect with everybody in your company um, and know your audience. And you can't come in puffing your chest. And, you know, like I said, I, I have a, employees I'm in Brooklyn Park and an office park. So if I showed up in a suit every day, I would be perceived very different. I show up in my jeans, loft, a lot of times a flannel shirt in the winter in Minnesota and my Converse because that makes me just appearance-wise much more of an approachable leader that people feel comfortable coming up and talking to me. I'm not showing up trying to separate myself. I often tell the company, you know, whether you're an office manager or VP, you all have the ability to contribute. So you're dressing like just just everyone else. Yeah. You want to connect with people on a real human level because I think there's certainly those leaders. Um, I know I've I've um, either been part of companies or worked with companies where the leader is not approachable, and it's hard to um, maintain that employee I think satisfaction when the it just it seems so far out of reach, especially inside a small company. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, 100% of my leadership team is actually brand new since I started. 100%. 100%. And you've it, got some heavy hitters. I saw, you know, you've got some Procter & Gamble, tar- ex-Target. You've got some great talent on your team. Yeah, and, you know, similar to me, a lot of them came from, you know, very stable, secure uh, career at a very large company, but it they came to work for me. And that's like the hugest compliment any of them could have ever given to me was there was a trust and they knew my work style. They knew my work ethic. And was it a risk coming to a company that's a lot smaller uh, in the midst of transformation? You know, who knows where it was going to go? It was a big risk for them, right? They had to involve their families in that decision. It wasn't like going from Kraft Foods to Kellogg's where you know what you're really getting. Um, You know, a lot of times people say they want to go to a small company as well. And I always really challenge people, do you really want to go to a small company? Like, what is it about a small company that you really want to go to? Because coming from craft, you know, it's very easy to point the finger over your right shoulder, your left shoulder, because there's other people you can blame. There's lots of resources. There's lots of money. There's clout within your name. When you're talking to a client, the client's going to pick up the phone call. When you go to a small company, you have to create all of that. You have to prioritize your resources. Every single dollar, every single dollar that you invest has to be prioritized. At Craft, maybe doing something for $1,000, it wasn't even thought of because you had such big budgets. Mm-hmm. Very different at a small company. So what sort of things would people share with you, whether it's formally in an interview process or maybe informally, that even though they say they want to join a small company, what would give you caution or pause if they're really going to cut it? I think a lot of people that go to a small company want to change the world. And I was no different, right? I saw an opportunity to take my background, my skill sets, and bring a very unique, differentiated approach to Insignia in terms of who the past leadership was at Insignia. Um, But then it usually stops there for people. And they don't really truly, they haven't thought out Who's, how are you going to do the data if you don't have a data resource? How are you going to manage a team when you have maybe 50 people, but you really need 100? Like, they haven't actually thought through the plan. They get so caught up in the cachet of what it does to their resume or what could happen if they're successful. They don't think about what can happen if they fail. Uh-huh. 
And a lot of times at small companies, and especially at Insignia, I mean, two of my longest standing employees have been there since the doors opened. Um, one of my employees has had tragic life events happen to her at work. Like, her son works in the back room. And so, I mean, their their whole livelihood is part of a small company. And so when you come in and you want to change the world, you know, you, you are changing families. You are changing people's livelihoods. And I think you have to um, humble yourself and put that on your shoulders every single day. Uh, I think that's very different than a big company. Well, let's circle back. Something that you said in the beginning that you know you were really focused on listening first and not making any changes the first ninety days. Did you sit down with every single employee? I did. Wow. Yep. So I sat down at the time. It was 60, 60 people. Okay. The first thing I asked the office admin to do was put 30, 30 minutes on with every single employee. And my goal was to have that done actually in the first 30 days. Wow. So it was basically like a rotating cycle of people coming through my office. Um, I sent out questions that I wanted them to think about in advance. Um, I had 60 people to learn. They had one person to learn. So I also made them include their photo. Um, you know, why they were part of Insignia. I wanted to learn about their family. And then I basically created a reference book that I could then bring home at night. So basically, I was like back in school studying, you know, this was Teo, this was Shannon, and, you know, understanding picture to name to things I could drive conversation with. I'd love to know how many other leaders do that. That's incredible. It's like you were studying at night, so you would know. So when you saw someone in the hall, you could say, hello, so-and-so. Yes. Well, and we also, in my first 90 days, those first three months, we actually held an all-company meeting every single week. Because when I came in, one of the things that everybody told me very consistently was management's one part of the company were the rest. Mm -hmm. And that was the first thing I needed to change. The other thing that they had told me was there was a lack of transparency, a lack of communication. And if you know me, I am like, overly transparent. Sometimes my CFO gets very nervous because we're a publicly traded company and I probably share more than I should. Um, But that's just my personality because it helps get people in the boat with you when they know where you're sailing to. What about for you? You know, we always hear it's lonely at the top. How do you find inspiration, education, even mentors for you? Honestly, this year being my third year, it's that's actually started to become a very big priority for me. Not to say that it hasn't been a priority. I just was so invested in everybody else, the transformation of the company, that that's actually, I, I put that on my own development plan. And I told my team and shared with my team my development plan. So if I'm holding them accountable and asking them, I gave them full right to ask me about mine. And so I've done some research on some local peer advisory groups that I've actually joined. Um, A lot of my clients are local rep and agency groups who also happen to be run by very 
inspirational women um, that I've made an immediate connection with. And so setting up, you know, quarterly meetings, because you have to be realistic um, when you set your goals. And, you know, if you say I'm going to do something every single week, you're going to fail and then you're not going to focus on it. And so that was another thing um, that I did as well is said, hey, let's meet quarterly. The peer advisory group has been another big piece. Um, And then really trying to leverage my past connections as well. Um, When I left Kraft very shortly after, um, every day I would hear about a new person leaving. And so that has created a whole nother network for me um, because a lot of them went to and stayed within the industry. And so staying connected with them as well. And then I had two um, managers at Kraft. Um, One was when I joined the target team and one was I led the target team and they have been my sponsors and mentors honestly since day one I mean my last manager I met literally day one of craft and knew him for 17 years and you know I watched him retire celebrated his retirement Um, but we talk very often and I can openly talk to them about the challenges that I'm having and you know while it might be different in their experience they always offer advice and so you know kind of finding people from your past to stay connected to as wonderful. well. Wonderful. How do you balance? <laughs> Actually, I don't know if I believe in the word, word balance. It's integration. As a, as a mom of two boys, um, I know, f- you know you stay active in so many things. How do you, quote unquote, do it all? You know, I'm asked that all the time, and I wish I really knew what the magic pill was because uh, I think I'd be a millionaire if I created that. Um, you got to just set focus. I mean, I, I will admit I am an alpha. I am type A. I have a very hard time um, not knowing that things get done or seeing things through, um, especially when it comes to my kids. You know, I am definitely a mom first, CEO second, um, and I bring that to my work too. And so I have an hour commitment each way that's that's a long time but you can get a lot done in that commute you can talk to a lot of clients you can talk to a lot of your team so it's being very thoughtful about time management and honestly since I was 16 I had three jobs I worked at Taco Bell the golf course and Old Navy and I think what I've learned about myself is the busier I am the easier I have to manage and balance my time you also have to know what are you willing to, you know, let go a little bit of? What are you willing to ask for help on versus what are your non-negotiables? And just being open and honest about that. Mm-hmm. Delegate and elevate. Um, it's been a something that I've tried to try to live by. Not you. Not that you can delegate at everything, especially at home. <laughs> exactly. What else? I mean, if you were to be sitting in front of a large peer group right now. Um, what other advice would you give to um, you know, a CEO who might be stepping into a role for the first time you know, or someone who is you know, having to really think through their own people's strategy because maybe they do realize that they have a disconnect between leadership and the rest of, rest of the staff? I think the biggest thing I've learned um, both when I was at Kraft in a leadership role and in this role is I always thought I had to come into the room knowing all the answers and being the smartest person. Like, hey, there's a reason they put you in this leadership role. It's because you're the smartest person. You know all the answers. 
That is 100% not the reason they've put you in that leadership role. It is your ability to motivate. It is your ability to inspire. It is your ability to have a strategy. And it's your ability to find a team that can help you support and implement that. And so, quite honestly, I think of my leadership team as all smarter than me. You know, they all have a unique skill set and talent that complement myself in terms of maybe where my weaknesses are or complement a strength and then I can do the same to them and so I think when you're hiring and you're building a team don't be intimidated by the person sitting across from you and they come across way smarter or way more talented don't be threatened that they're gonna come in and take your job be honored by the fact that you get to work alongside somebody like that I would say also from a people strategy perspective um, you're going to find your best advice from the people you least expect it from in your organization. Don't rely only on what your team or your direct reports are telling you. You will be misguided. You will have blind spots. You need to be out there interacting with the person that is entry level and worked there for a year all the way to the person who's been there for 26 years. And I have seen a lot of my peers get burned by only trusting their leadership team because if your leaders are only telling you what you want to hear and not the truth, you're missing the whole second side of the story. Mm -hmm. So you've had to be careful about what you what you believe. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're moving on to the really fun part of, uh, of the episode, which is our lightning round. Are you ready? First question, what is a book you've read in the last five years that you most recommend to others? So this is not a business book. Uh, it is a book that quite honestly drove connection for my family. Um, most people probably have read it, but it is the book Wonder. And when my son was three and five, so this book came out, and we are all about driving kindness, empathy in my family, as well as at work, right? It's assuming positive intent. And I saw my kids react to this book in a way that they've never reacted to another book, quite honestly. And the conversation that opened up at night, when that's very precious time with the kids of bedtime, it's sometimes the most hated time, but it's a very precious time. Um, just in terms of their, I, I've watched how they've transformed, how they treat people, um, their acceptance of people. And quite honestly, I think you can apply that whole story of wonder and Augie and the challenges he faces um, to work as well, right? It's don't come in and look at what somebody looks like on the outside or assume when you look at a resume, this is what you're going to get. It's really peel back the book, peel back the, the layers and truly understand what that person really is about and what they have to offer. Excellent. I don't know why I haven't, I haven't read that one with my voice. Oh, I have an extra yeah. copy for okay. you. What is your favorite app and why? So this was a hard question. So, you know, I will say I need a little bit of guilty pleasure of some oh, just time out. So I, I am a sucker for social media. Um, I, 
Uh, it's probably an Instagram. And part of the reason why I like Instagram a little bit more than Facebook is it's all about the pictures. And like that's how Facebook started, right? Was It was all about the feel-good pictures and sharing moments with your family. But what I love about Instagram, and especially being in the CPG retail industry, is it's an opportunity for me to see what other brands are out there. Um, I've watched a number of brands kind of launch and become themselves on Instagram. That's driven a lot of business for us as well. Um, so it's kind of that perfect blend of both personal and professional. Um, so I don't feel completely guilty taking and grabbing my phone in the morning. Absolutely not. What is a fun fact people would never guess about you? So when I lived in New York, um, I lived there for eight years, and I was actually one of the anomalies of someone who had a car uh, because I actually commuted out of uh, the Manhattan up into Terrytown. And so one morning, and also I didn't, I couldn't afford a parking garage because that was basically second rent. So I parked on the street, which meant you parked in a different spot every single night, which usually took you know, a significant part of your nighttime to find a spot. So one morning I come out very confident in where I parked and my car is not there. And this was a new car too. And I was like, oh my gosh, my, it's New York City. My car got stolen. Yeah, like, yeah. what am I gonna do? And so I walked the streets, I couldn't find my car, but I'm like, I can't be late to work. So I went to the office, I tell my boss, someone stole my car. And he's like, are you, are you kidding? We got to call the police. So we get on the phone. He helps me out. We call all the tow trucks and, you know, the, all the lots where your cars could be. Nothing. So I, he's like, why don't you just go home early? Like, go go to the precinct, find, talk to the police. So I get off the train and I'm like, you know, I'm just going to walk the streets one more time. And wouldn't you know... There was my dang car, not where I thought I parked it, but it was just fine. Oh, and no. I walked by my car and I just <laughs> tapped it and I was like, you little stinker. And I had to face everybody the next day. So the movie that was placed on my, my desk the next day was, Dude, Where's My Car? Rightfully so. Um, but it is a story that if you worked with me at Craft, you knew all yeah, about. You won't live down that one won't down. Live that one down. And then finally, what time do you wake up in the morning? So I'm not consistent on that. I am a, an exerciser in the morning, usually like five days out of the week. So it kind of ranges between 5.15 to 7, depending on the morning. I do like to sleep in. Uh, I am actually focusing very hard on my sleep. I have a sleep tracker to kind of watch my hours now, which is something new that I'm working on. Um, so yeah, I would say kind of depends weekend versus weekday. Well, thank you, Christine, for sharing all of your wisdom and advice with our listeners today. If someone's interested in connecting with you or wants to know more about Insignia, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Come to our website. We have a Contact Us Now right on our website. So it's insigniasystems.com. Um, we would be happy to connect with you and talk to you about how we can help you grow your business. Perfect. Until next time, get out there, be bold, be you and connect with someone new. Take care. Thanks for joining us on Core Talent Connects. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on your podcast app and share this episode with a friend or colleague. Hi, I'm Laura King from Core Talent. 
I'd like to invite you to visit coretalent.com to learn more about how Core Talent accelerates business growth through people. That's C-O-R-T-A-L-E-N-T.com. And if you're interested in having me speak on a panel or at your next event about the evolution of recruiting, modern workplace culture, retention, or employee engagement, please drop me a note at lking at coretalent.com or ping me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.